Welcome to the PTU Barbell Podcast. We're episode six with an amazing guest, uh, Darren Nicholhurst. Um, so he's an editor of Flex Magazine. He's a gym kit designer. He's a sponsored bodybuilder working with Cardillo Belts, Iron Asylum and Fat Grips. And the people who he's met are like, you just wouldn't believe it. Um, I mean, you can check him out at Daz the Bull on Instagram. Uh, so welcome, Daz. Hi, guys. How you doing? Great to uh, to be on your on your channel and and finally get to speak properly for once and for all, as we've been trying to for a long time, haven't we? Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm just going to get straight to the uh, straight to the chase. Um, yeah, go I for just, it. Where did it all begin for you? Like, what age did you start training? Because um, I was doing a little bit of stalking earlier, man. And at 18, you <laughs> were in insane shape. Was. What do you mean was? <laughs> oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have written this down and I've just put it under here as well. He's still in his same shape. He's still in the of shoulders. Get the tip X. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, it was, it, it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. Um, I remember being around about nine or 10 years of age and my brother had just started lifting some weights with a, a weeder bench and, um, and a real bad barbell, you know. And I remember watching, I think it was something like Conan the Barbarian, and obviously with with, with the main man, Arnold. Yeah. And um, and I said to my brother, I said, I'm, I'm going to meet him. I'm going to work with that guy one day um, at nine years of age, you know. And from that moment, as silly as it sounds, with from a guy that had absolutely zero prospects because you know my family had no money they had my dad was starting a small business and you know we we come from a very basic background where we didn't have electricity we, you know we, we lived in a in a council house with no electricity no gas my mum would cook outside on an open fire um you know when when they, they couldn't pay the bills so i had zero prospects of ever ever doing that so to say that to my older brother um, was was totally totally stupid. So from that age, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to be, um, but I had absolutely no idea that I would ever um, get anywhere near it. So that's that's where it started. Back at home with my older brother <laughs> and uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, that's excellent man. Um, so when did you actually start training? Like was it at that 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 time or did was that just kind of mucking around stuff <laughs> well I, I thought it was serious but no i'm sure it was just probably doing myself more harm than good um <laughs> because my dad had this building company when, when we obviously we, we didn't we didn't have holidays we you know we couldn't afford them um so from a very young age i would be lifting wheelbarrows and paving slabs and bricks and you know whatever because i had two older brothers so i wanted to be as strong as them so from that point, we we literally started um, lifting bars. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong; it would have been it would have been proper pussy ass weight, probably probably, <laughs> probably more than I do now. But but it was it was it was very pathetic training. We knew nothing, um, and we made do with what we had, which was very little. That's perfect, man. That that's where Some you, things uh, we've touched on in um, previous podcasts with people is one is like a lifetime of labour. 
whether that be in other sports, it will be jobs that they've done, um, construction work, that kind of thing. And also the inspiration of older siblings, um, almost like the competition element of pushing them, aspiring to be like the older brother, the older sister, um, not wanting to be outdone. Um, would you say, obviously, like the, the work that you said with lifting the bars and helping your dad with the wheelbarrows and stuff, would you say that's helped build like a strong foundation for you to carry on your training and then starting in the gym? Um, and also, obviously, the aspects with your, um, your, your brothers that you said. Yeah, I mean, I, do, do you know what? I, I think the more important thing of, of the whole of that period in my life wasn't necessarily the fact that um, I was trying to get stronger to be as good as my brothers or anything like that. Um, but I think it was, you know, I saw the work ethic that my family had in order to survive. So I knew that in order to get anything in life from that young age, you really had to work for it. So I'm not a competitive person, believe it or not. I'm not a competitive person, which is silly when, when the sport that I'd done was, was massively competitive. But myself, um, and you ask anyone that knows me, you know, I, I don't have any of my trophies on show. I don't have nothing that I've ever accomplished really on show because for me, it was the, the passion behind anything I do is, is the passion. You know what I mean? So yeah, it it was never. I, I wanted to try and be as good as them, or as, I just wanted to be more efficient for what we were doing, which was working, and it was fun, and I enjoyed it, and I love working. So it was the work ethic, I think, that actually made me better at all the things that I have achieved or have done in the past. That's what I got from it. It, it wasn't necessarily the strength or this or this. It was. It was if you want something, unfortunately, it's not easy, and you've got to fucking work for it. With uh, with all your lists of uh, people you work with and your accomplishments, I mean, I've been looking through your page and some of your competitions, mate. You were just looking insane. Um, what would you say is your biggest achievement? What did you say? Kind of like you kind of had that. Um, let's go for on stage because obviously you've met a lot of people and you've done a lot of yeah. great stuff. So let's go with on stage first. Yeah. What was, you know, that time where you thought, actually, I've brought the best package or have you brought the best package or, and are you still working towards that or, is it, or have you found it, do you think? No. I never, ever brought the best package and that's complete honest truth. So, again, because I'm not competitive, but I had the ability to, to be good to win and... We all know there's a lot of politics, unfortunately, in, in sport. It's not necessarily how good you are. Um, and I think, I think for me, because of my height and my, my weight, which I actually I don't even really remember what it was at the time, um, I always struggled to, to come into my weight, to what I needed to be to step on stage. So I never really had the opportunity because obviously you want to be the biggest of your class mm. or or of, of the bigger of the bigger few. There's no point going into a weight category and being middle or lower because if you're middle or lower then clearly you're going to be the smaller one out of everybody. So you always want to come in at the very top and scrape in as best as you can. But unfortunately I was always 
um, I could never really carve up. You know, most people, depending on the physique, you know, and, and the individual and how good the diet's gone, you can carve up ideally for three days prior to the contest. Whereas for me, I would have to strip, 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 lose tons of water. I mean, I remember a time where when we're down at, you know, some ridiculous percent body fat, three and a half, four percent body fat, which is dangerously low, we would still lose Estonian fluid, 14 pounds of fluid wow. in, from eight o'clock in the evening through to eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. At that percentage of body fat. So it's all internal fluids, which is 100%, anyone listening to this, you don't want to be doing that. It's not healthy. But that was the only way I could push the limit to step on stage. But then the problem then is you can't carb up slow enough in order to fill out and to pull the water into the muscle and to, and to be really dry on stage. So that was a massive problem um, that, unfortunately, I could never really bring my best package to the stage um, to what I wanted to do. Because in our heads, you know, we all want to be back then. Okay, so let me explain. Back then, competing was very different to what it is now. So the standards... Let me, uh, can, I can I stop you there real quick? No. One question before you start, which will help this, hopefully help yes. you stay in. So I was, obviously, uh, I've done my research on you. Yeah. Um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, 12 weeks ago, you said on a post, um, I miss the hardcore days, bring them back. So do you feel that bodybuilding has gone soft or do you feel there's a whole different sort of, like people want to see a different side and a bit more like rounded or is it, do you just think, because I, I know exactly what you're saying, you know, with the CMP posters in the background, you know, in flex, all those sort of like great times of bodybuilding. Um, and I'm, I'm still young, so I, I didn't see a lot of those days. Yeah. Um, but do you think it's gone soft or what's your thoughts on that before you start going into this? It's not, it, it's very different. I wouldn't say it's gone soft. It's very different. I have, the problem is bodybuilding and, and being a competitive athlete, which is great, has become very normal. Yeah. So the problem is with normality is that you've got, and again, I mean no disrespect to anybody that's coming into the sport because doing what I do, for a living and everything, I love that people want to come into it because I'm the one that wants to educate them so they get it right. So I'm not against it. But the problem is, is that everyone coming in, not everyone, people that are coming into it are, it's all too easy to become somebody now. With social media, You, as long as you, you know, show a bit of flesh or, or, or something, um, without being rude, you can get a ton of followers and all of a sudden that person thinks they're a bit of a guru and they start spouting out loads of information when actually in order to know anything, you really, you really need years and years of practice and you need to be surrounded by good people that have got to a very high standard. But unfortunately now gyms are full, which is great. Everybody's a competitive athlete. Everybody's a PT and none of these people ever really push themselves to the extreme limit on stage. I have people saying to me, when I walk into a gym, when they're open, saying to me, oh, I'm exhausted, I'm knackered, I'm, I'm killing myself, this diet is ruining me, I'm fucked. And I'm looking at them and they're drinking a nice flavoured branch chain amino acid drink full of additives and colourings 
but no sugar, and they're eating a bowl of cocoa pops because someone's told them to do this, and they're having a cheat meal. Back in the day when when we were competing, and go even further back to when Dorian was competing and Charles Claremont and so on, there was no flavoured anything. There was no fucking cheat meal. Your cheat meal, I, I remember a cheat meal would be for us in the very beginning, it did change eventually, it would be a can of tuna, a Diet Coke, um, blended together maybe with a bit of pineapple juice. That was a cheat meal. <laughs> so when people, I had a guy say to me, I want, I want a classic physique. And they said to me, it was about Charles Claremont, I want a classic physique. I want to step on stage looking like Charles Claremont. So my advice was, if you want to look that way, you have to live that life. And the only way you can live that life is by having nothing that is effectively man-made. So we're not, we're talking any amino acid you're having, it has to be in its raw form or capsulated. You can't have tons of sugar-free stuff on top because you never get that dry, grainy condition because of all this sugar-free, your body doesn't know what to do with it. So it doesn't know if it's, it's, low, in, it's low in carbs, but it's, it's not a sugar. So where do we put it in the system? It has to get rid of it somewhere. So all of these additives that we put in our system now, which, which we didn't have back in the beginning, unfortunately, make the physique very soft and watery. You know, so we, we, we lived a very different hardcore time. You know, everything that we had to preparation was, was raw, was raw food. Your basics, your, your vegetables, your chicken, your eggs, your fish. You know, that's it. There was, there was nothing else. We had um, uh, uh, Matt, uh, Matthias on, um, he's a guy from America, uh, was a powerlifter now turned bodybuilder. He was saying to me, he, uh, he's in great shape, huge guy. Um, he was saying as well, uh, doesn't touch um, protein shakes. His protein shake is um, like 10 egg whites and then a bit of berries and that's it mixed up. He's like, I don't touch a protein shake. He doesn't even touch any of the supplements except from like his vitamin C and all that jazz. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I mean, again, I'm on a bit of a bit of a tipping scale with with with, with uh, supplements because, as you know, I've been involved with many supplement companies, and you know, with when when I was with Garnell Nutrition, and we would formulate and, and produce supplements, we had some of the highest graded protein powders on the market, and we we were in fact one of the first companies in the UK to ever produce an isolate protein, and nobody else even knew what an isolate protein was. We were the first, so. Protein powders have a place, but you have to know what you're doing uh, in order to make them effective. For an everyday person, a protein powder is fantastic because it's better than, than the shit diet that they're normally on, yeah. which is probably not having any protein. <laughs> so, so if you're having a good protein shake, a good quality protein shake with one or two meals a day, then brilliant, excellent, it helps. But if you're prepping for a show, then you, you a lot of people mistake what a protein supplement is and think they can prep on a protein supplement. And and, it, and the truth is, you know, your body gets used to the same source of anything. So if you feed it too much of the same source, what's it going to do? Shit it out. <laughs> That's it. Nice, man. Nice. What's your, um, what's, uh, what's your go-to sort of um, post-workout or, or 
Ooh, go to post workout yeah. when you're prepping as well. So let's hear about what's your prepping diet look like. Let's go with that. Yeah, what's a usual day in the life of like your your food basically? It's very boring. Um, basically, it would it would go as simple as this. I would wake up in the morning um, and I would take some BCAAs and some L-glutamine. Um, usually, quite a good amount, ten grams of glutamine, um, at least six grams of BCAA. And then I would have possibly uh, maybe just a black coffee. And I would wear, it would be usually this time of the year that I'd be prepping where it's cold. Um, and I would put on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and a jumper. And I'd go out and do an hour's cardio. And I'd be freezing, so I'm cold. Um, and then once basically I've warmed up a little bit, I'd take my jumper off. So I then cool down again. So my body has to create the the heat in my body in order to, you know, to stay warm, which is obviously burning body fat. So I would never go out and wear a sauna suit like you see a lot of people do. It's actually very, it's actually very good for your uh, for your muscles and your um, nervous system. I've just been reading yeah. the Wim Hof book, and he's a yeah. advocate. Well, he's the guy that kind of brought the cold therapy to, to everyone. But, yeah, he, he thinks the cold therapy is amazing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, and then as soon as, obviously, I'd finished my cardio, I'd, I'd, I'd go, you know, back and I'd eat. Um, generally it would be maybe six eggs, six or eight eggs. And, um, that would either be scrambled or whatever. Um, and then plain porridge, oats and water. And believe it or not, I still do that now. I don't do the cardio. Don't like cardio. I don't do the cardio, but I, I still have plain porridge, oats and water with, um, and then I have maybe a, a protein shake. So back to your protein shake, but it would, it would be, um, eggs five or six eggs with um whatever flavoring i drink it so then from that i would then usually be working or going somewhere or whatever it is i'm doing that day um and every two and a half to three hours i would basically be having plain chicken plain rice you know maybe 250 300 grams of chicken um i would it used to be uncooked weight of about 36 to 30 seven grams of, of plain white rice because the white rice is easy obviously for the body to process um, and doesn't slow your metabolic rate down uh, usually with some vegetables or whatever description the lunch would would be the same again um, and then I'd probably maybe even have a protein shake again that would be eggs or whatever with some L-glutamine some BCAs I'd have BCAs every three hours in between the meals so it's not with the meal it'd be in between the meals because then you know the bcas are stopping the muscle tissue breakdown the l-glutamine regulates your insulin so i'm not getting no spiking peaking and troughing um and then by that time it'd be getting to around three o'clock where i'd probably put in a bit more of a slower meal because i'll be training quite soon so it would be maybe a red meat like a you know a tiny bit of steak or something some steak Again, plain white rice and vegetables. Um, and then I'd have a five o'clock meal, which would be, again, normally a bit more of a rawer uh, piece of meat. So, you know, a, a rare piece of steak with tomatoes and, and um, um, some rice again. Then I'd train. Post-workout would be eggs, L-glutamine, all the typical, no carbs in that. Um, and then... Depending on how far out, if I wanted the insulin spike, and I still, I would probably put some 
a multidextrin powder or something in with that. So, but as I got closer to the show, obviously I'd 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 be eliminating extra carbs here and there. And then I would go home, and I would have um, my evening meal, which would generally be something oily. A lot of people like fish, but I don't really like fish, so it'd be steak again. And then that would just be steak and broccoli. There'd be no carbs with that, just a good steak and broccoli. And then just before bed, it'd be um, a CMP pro-peptide shake, which is 33% of, of each protein, a slow, a medium, and a, and a fast, you know. So then that way I'm fed throughout the night up until about, usually about six, probably 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then I'll be waking up at 5, hungry, starving, ready to go again. Nice, man. Nice. So what, uh, for people that are listening, um, Daz is a serious bodybuilder. This is not one of, he's not one of your Gymshark bodybuilders. You know what I mean? So this is a real bodybuilding <laughs> style diet. This is not your, you know, Gymshark diet. If you go, go and look at his page, he's in incredible shape. And I believe he's, right, working, he's worked with some absolute animals out there. I mean, I see you, uh, rubbing Johnny Jackson down. <laughs> Easy. It was his birthday the other day. Happy birthday, Johnny. <laughs> you should get him to listen to this, mate. He was he's a great bodybuilder as well. Um I I want to ask you as well, because I haven't really been looking at much in the UK, probably the last god knows how long. Yeah. Um so who's stronger than James Hollingshead? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Do you know what? He's a James. I love James. Yeah, man, I follow. I've follow, been following him a long time, and the guy is so strong. We, yeah. Like, so I've, I'm into powerlifting at the moment, yeah. and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I can squat this and squat that, and then I turn on James, and he's doing it for reps. <laughs> for, reps. for reps. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's stronger than James. And oh. who's um, who else is in the UK that we need to keep an eye out on? Wow, that's that's difficult, you know. Seriously, who's stronger than James? <laughs> Not many is the answer. Um, unfortunately, we haven't got Luke Sando anymore. No, that was oh, that. Um, he was. I re- I loved. I loved his shape, and he was that. That really. That was. That was a sad day, man, when we lost yeah. lost him. But he was. He was like I was following him as well, and I thought, oh my god, he's going to be the next like, the next big man up the stage for the UK. Yeah, I mean, as you know, um, I put Luke Sando on the front cover of Flex. Yeah, and. When we were going through the pictures prior to this, I said to Luke, I go, I, w- I was shocked, right? And I-, and I always speak my mind to to an athlete, right? Because unfortunately, it's too many people that, that are either embarrassed or don't want to say, I don't give a fuck. If someone looks good, then they should be told because you need to know. And I said to Luke, I went, fucking hell, Luke. The last time I see pictures, these were black and white pictures, and... The last time I see pictures like this was the iconic pictures of Dorian. Yeah. yeah and I said, to him, I said to him, I want you to go and recreate or do the same poses as Dorian because I honestly felt that the thickness of mass that that guy had, and I've known Luke for years, he, he was the modern day version of, of Dorian. You know, and I, and I remember seeing Dorian in the in the in the flesh many many years ago. Obviously, when he was an absolute freak, when he would stand, and this is this is no bullshit. He would stand backstage in his posing trunks, stood normally, not feet together, stood normally, and his calves would be touching. Right, 
that's how, and, and, I, and I remember the other competitors at the Grand Prix stood there because he looked quite small. He had a, had a robe on, yeah? And then when he'd come nearer to the contest, he would just literally drop the robe off and everybody would be like, because you, 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 you I cannot explain to you how freaky that guy was. Yeah. He was like plasticine, man. But going back to your question, I honestly don't know who who would be able to match um, James um, in in sheer power um, and for technique as well, because yeah. that guy can can just push dumbbells and push dumbbells um, on a competitive front. I honestly couldn't answer that question. I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody at the minute that's really killing it like James is. And 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 if for anybody out there, um, if you if you want to contact me, I'll send you the article I wrote on James. And the reason why I say that is because that is a seriously inspiring person and story. This was a guy that took up bodybuilding and completely lost the love for it and was never going to compete. And we wrote the story where he went up um, Mount, whatever it is, some mountain, and um, Kilimanjaro. He'd he, he, he done Kilimanjaro. And that was what turned his, his mind back to, I'm going to be a competitive bodybuilder because there was no way he was ever going to turn pro. There was no way he was ever going to be anything in the bodybuilding world. And it just goes to show that when you've got the right mindset, because something goes click, you can do anything you want. Was Endurance uh, cardio will do that to you. <laughs> exactly. Not <laughs> me. <laughs> so uh, can you just shed some light on, I couldn't work out why he pulled out of Olympia. Was it to do with COVID or, uh, or something else? Um, I think you should ask him. Yeah, I, I haven't been <laughs> yeah. following that much recently, but yeah, I mean, the problem is he would, he, been, he would have been up there high. Obviously, he, probably not. he would have been, but and do you know what? I'm glad he, he glad he didn't do it. And the only reason I say that is because the whole COVID thing, the fact that they moved the Olympia and they done they messed also they messed it up. They done the best they could considering the shit time that we're all in. And I'm, you know, I'm really pleased that all the powers that be over in Las Vegas still managed to put the Olympia on for a lot of the competitive people I know that are friends of mine. Because as you can imagine, as an athlete, people like James, and this is probably going to be one of the big deciding factors to why people pulled out of the Olympia, and many people pulled out of the Olympia, is because in order to step on stage, you need to know what you're doing every, every single hurdle. And if, if you've got any uncertainty in there, whether it's a, a partner, a job, uh, a life situation, any uncertainty will ruin your preparation. Even if you don't stop doing what you're doing, that tiny little bit of extra stress and your cortisol levels going up, that's it. You're finished. You, you're not going to compete. You're not going to compete well. So I would say that is probably a big deciding factor, not just for James, because James is a great bodybuilder, a great friend, but for many, many other bodybuilders across the world, because you, you, you need to be 100% on every little detail. 
Awesome, mate. Yeah, I, th- I think you're totally true there, man, especially at that level as well, because um, <laughs> I love that Big Rammy won. I love that size of him, you know, so... Uh, funny think- story. Huh? I was with... I'll tell you a funny story. I was, I was backstage um, at the Mr. Olympia. Um, I think it would have been maybe 2017, something like that. So quite early in the stage of Big Rammy being on the Olympia stage and being a big force. And um, and I was a lot heavier then than I am now. And always, obviously, as you know, I've always got abs, no matter what weight I am. And uh, I was prepping Johnny Jackson, as you know, for the Mr. Olympia. So I'm, I'm sat there with Johnny Jackson. I think um, Sean Roden was on the floor, literally laying down. There was Dexter Jackson, I mean, Dennis Wolf, you name it, everybody in the room. And in fact, I think that was just after um, Arnold Schwarzenegger came in with Franco Colombo, oh. Betty Weeder. I mean, honestly, everybody was there. And Big Rammy came over to me and started laughing. And I'm thinking, and I love Big Rammy, right? And he couldn't speak much English then, bless him. And I'm thinking, what's he laughing at? What's, what's, the, what's the deal here, you know? And he was pointing, I had shorts on, he was pointing at my calves. <laughs> and he was laughing. And I'm thinking, dude, you're laughing at my calves. And he goes to me, calves, I need your calves. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, how much of a compliment is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the biggest monsters on the planet is going, I need your calves. Clearly, now Big Rammy has some of the biggest calves on the planet. You know, so that was... That Did was you give him favorite. your secrets? Did I tell him my secrets? No, he couldn't understand English hardly. <laughs> but yeah, but it was it was he's a really, really genuine, funny, nice, amazing guy. You know, disregard he's an, an amazing bodybuilder. He's a he's a great guy, really funny. So going back to the COVID uh, situation, do you think he was a rightful winner that this uh, last year? Like, do you think that someone pulled out that might have done something different, or or do you think that uh, like Phil Heath could have been a bit more sharper and Curry just? I, you know, uh, three that kind of came out. What was your What was your thoughts on those? That be honest. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be honest. The the if you're not there, don't look at the pictures and, and make a judgment. Yeah. Right. Because you cannot see the real condition of these athletes unless you're physically in front of them or you're sat in that audience, two or three rows, looking up at their monsters on stage which obviously I've done multiple times. And I remember every time I've been to Olympia and I come back into the UK, people go to me, oh, so-and-so should have won. And I go, well, where'd you get that from then? Because from where I was where I was sat, 20 foot from the guy, he, he, he should have won. And the only reason I say that is because when you're in the press or you're looking at a video, even a live stream, and the camera's panning across the, the lineup, you... I'll be, I'll be stood there doing the most muscular. The guy next to me will be just going into pose or might have only just gone into pose. So you you never get everybody, you know, all 10 athletes at one time in good shot because if you've ever done it yourself, you can't hold a pose. And when you're that size and your oxygen levels are low and you're tired, um, you can't hold it. You physically can't hold it. You've got... Two or three seconds, and that person's got to be in a picture and look good. So I wasn't there. 
should could have anybody made any difference? I love Phil. Phil's a Phil's a, a you know a brother, man. He's he's awesome. I, I love his physique. I've always loved Phil. Um, big Rammy, fuck me, the guy's a monster. Should he have won? I I actually think he probably should have. But on on that note, William Bonac, right? Hey, I've got him. I was going to say to you next because I love William Bonac's physique and I like the guy. It. I only wish. The only wish I for I I, I wish that would happen for William is that he would be a little bit more outspoken. Yeah. Because physique wise, he's obviously got it. He has Unbelievable. got. Unfortunately, he's too much of a nice guy, and he's very humble, and very quiet, and and I think that could hold him back and and I, and I hope at some point um maybe you know we'll we'll see something we'll see something like this and he'll go yeah but williams honestly he's such a nice guy he's got his family yeah he loves what he does he provides and that's that's what matters to him you know but he he 100% deserves to be right up at the top he's the boss i remember when i saw him at um at body power yeah like even in a t-shirt, the guy is like shredded. <laughs> like yeah. it was like cutting him, and I was like, "Oh my Christ!" And then I saw yeah. him on stage, and I was just like, "This is this guy is, you know, there's something going on here because he's crazy." Yeah, and and until it sounds really dodgy, until he takes his clothes off, you you can't comprehend yeah. the density and the deep the 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 depth of the cuts that he's got. I mean, he's he's just another league and very much overlooked a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, what do you um, what do you think Phil can do to regain his, you know, his his title? Um, it's difficult for Phil because obviously he's had the operation, you know, on his on his midsection. Um, I feel still got it, you know, and the big thing that Phil has got over many of the other Olympic athletes and competitors ever is that he's got the charisma to be a Mr. Olympia. And that makes a big, big difference that if you, he, he's a showman. He like, look at Ronnie, Ronnie's charisma on stage. Everybody loves Ronnie Coleman. You know, um, I think even his number two, number three place love Ronnie Coleman, you know? So if you've got that, and again, this, this is what I say about William Bonac, it's a shame because William is such a humble guy. He almost, if he, if he was to win, he would thank everybody quietly and, and he'd go and hide away and just carry on with his family, which is absolutely astounding to do. But I think to be a Mr. Olympia, you almost need to be that little bit, not arrogant because people call Phil arrogant and he isn't. He he's, he was portrayed as arrogant in the um, in the the what do you call it Iron Generation Iron films, yeah, yeah. Because they needed a bit like pumping iron. They needed to create the king, the the second place, the third place, and the, all the rivals and the dark horse. And us as competitive athletes, when we've competed, we've all been either a dark horse or a rival or, or, or a top runner. Um, and it is that is only a film. It's, a, it's not a documentary, and, that, and that's unfortunately, I think, caused Phil a little bit of a, a little bit of a bad name. But 
but Phil is, I want to sound like I'm fighting his corner here, pro Phil. Um, but Phil is is a real decent, genuine guy. And I, I, I worked with Phil when he very first came to England uh, in Warrington. Um, we, we'd done some stuff together at a show. And, he, and even when we'd done the last Body Power show, right, we were on that stand together all day. All day. He didn't leave. The only time he went was to maybe go to the toilet. And he had thousands of people queued up. I was emceeing, talking about come and see Phil and everything else as you could imagine. And he was on that stand all day. Didn't leave. Shook everybody's hand, done all the pictures. And there's not many other athletes that would be like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm going to go and get some dinner and come back two hours later, which is nothing wrong with that because it's a job and they need to be fed. They're bodybuilders. But Phil's got bad press, unfortunately, because of the Generation Iron movies. Um, but he, he's got it. it. It's very difficult to be another Phil Heath, you know, and he could take it back. And I think if he was to, um, to get it right and we didn't have all this pressure of the COVID and travel and everything else, all the restrictions in place, I, I honestly think Phil could at least take the Olympia back because there's not many athletes that have got the whole package that Phil has, you know. But Big Ramy will be difficult to beat. I mean, Big Ramy was the best condition he's ever been at this last Olympia. Um, he's normally a little bit soft and a bit soft in the legs because he's a massive guy. Yeah. Um, but... If he comes in, which, as we all know, as you as you, the more you do something, the better you become. And with bodybuilding, you sort of have a, a, a peak couple of years where you'll be building up, building up, and every year you compete, you've chiselled a little bit more off. You're a bit more cut. You're a bit harder, and you've got a bit more muscle. And then eventually, at some point, the body, you know, it takes its toll, and then you you have to think, well. I need to stop here because I can't keep bringing a better package. Mm. The only person I think that's actually managed that has been Johnny Jackson, who done, I think, something like the most amount of Olympia um, sort of top yeah. runners yeah. Um, for, for, her, for 15 or something years. And obviously, Dennis ja uh, um, Dexter Jackson, who is a phenomenal bodybuilder again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Phil could take it back. But if Big Ramy comes in again, with maybe a bit more balance or whatever, you, you, you never really know what they're looking for, um, then he'll be, he'll be a tough guy to beat. You know, a very tough guy. Can I, uh, can I quickly pick your brain on uh, Kai Green while you're here? Go for it. Do you think he should have ever won? You being there, I always see a lot of people saying, oh, he should have won this, but because he did some dodgy stuff, he's not America's, um, like, America's boy. boy, yeah. You know, you, you always hear these things on other people and, like, when they're saying stuff, but obviously, we, like you say, we weren't there. Some Sometimes I feel like there was not a lot between them and some, one, I think, I don't know if it was, was it 16 or, or 15? I, one, of the, one of the times I think, oh, my God, he's going to win it today, and then, then nothing, but second. Yeah. But so, but obviously, if you were there, I I, I don't want to, you know. Do you think that plays a part, like the politics, or yes? Uh, so you think, is there a yeah. time you think he should have won? Um, 
do you know what? I've, I've seen so many. I wouldn't even. I, I can't remember what year I was born, let alone what year. <laughs> um, I think. I think. Twenty fourteen was one of the most ridiculous years that Kai Green competed. And what I mean ridiculous by that is, I remember the run up to the uh, to the show. I think that was possibly the same year. I may, I may, I may get this wrong. That was possibly the same year that Branch Warren, um, I think, tore his hamstring. Um, clean off. Car park. Yeah, tore it clean off and had surgery, and still competed at the Olympia three months later or two months later. I mean, it, a ridiculous recovery time, and he was still stuck on stage, still looked an absolute freak. You know, um, I think that was probably the year that Kai put on 35 pound of muscle, 35 pound in a year. Um, and he, he went from being a very good competitor to what the hell is that on stage? And I think for me personally, I think that was the year, um, and he did get better as he went on. Um, but I honestly believe that was the year that he he probably should have made a bigger impact than he did, um, which is a shame. But it hasn't been the same, the Olympia, since, you know, Kai and Phil have not been there. And in fact, Phil Phil even says that himself, you know, without the two of them on stage, uh, and again, no disrespect to anyone else competing at Olympia because, you know, I love them dearly. Um, I I think it just hasn't had that same... made up rivalry between the two of them, you know, yeah. because they're, they're, a, they're great competitors against each other. Phenomenal. I remember seeing um, Kai at, um, at Body Power again. I went to one of his talks and like yeah. you said about Dorian Yates's cast, when he sat in the bucket seats, his quads just touched together. Like <laughs> There was no space, was it? It took up the whole seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a monster, honestly. An absolute monster. You know, um, it's a shame because... Again, I, I like Kai uh, as a as a as not even the the humble person you see uh, portrayed by the media or by camera, um, but as as actually just as a normal guy being normal, um, he's he's a cool he's a cool dude, you know. And again, he's got a ridiculous work ethic in anything he does. Yeah. So it's a shame that he's not there anymore. You know, it opens up for these, like, the new kids coming up. So, you know, it's always, everything's got to grow, right? Um, So I've got a question with what you're saying there, Aaron. Uh, The new kids, um, what advice would you give to um, aspiring UK-based bodybuilders who want to step on stage and that's their goal? Um, Are there things that you, like a philosophy that you would say, you know, if you do this, um, things that they should install, um, even, you know, you've mentioned the social media and stuff. How how would they um, promote and um, portray themselves to maybe get onto the stage? Uh, what do you mean portray themselves to get onto stage? As in, what 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 advice would I give them just to be a competitive athlete? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even, even to sell themselves, um, sell yeah. themselves in the right way so they are marketable, so they are yeah. um, able to maybe get the sponsors to help them get to where they're going, because it's all very expensive, you know, the promotion. Yeah. Um, so 
the first thing I'd say was, advice-wise, I would say don't necessarily listen to the person that tells you how fucking great it is. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is because the re- whenever anyone talks to me about competing and and I'm not blowing my own trumpet, I spoke to more bodybuilders in my lifetime than I could even remember. And there is no real great period of being a competitive athlete. And when you win, the reality is you win your trophy, you go and have your cheat meal, you go back to your hotel room, usually on your own, because everybody's pissed off with you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you sit there, and, there's, and, and, and this, this will be the same for many athletes, many artists of any description. The, the, the come down is massive because you've been on this, on this stage in front of however many people, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people looking, in theory, the best you, you've looked. You've just won this amazing trophy. And, and you expect that something brilliant is going to happen. And then you go back to your hotel room and actually everything's the same. You're still the same person. You've probably got bad guts because you ate too much cake and pizza. And it's, it's almost a very lonely time. And I would see this at the Mr. Olympia where there's always an after party at the Mr. Olympia where all the athletes go upstairs and the wives and everybody's there and it's great. But the next day, you're just another person with a really bad tan on. That's it. You know what I mean? So my advice would be try and find somebody to to speak to that is totally honest. And, And that's where I've always tried to advise people because, yes, this is brilliant, this bit here. If you win and you get sponsorship and you get given things, and that's brilliant. But what it takes to get there is a lot of money, a massive amount of dedication, and even more sacrifice than you could ever imagine because I know guys, and this is no lie, that are split up with their missus and they're living in a tent in somebody's garden because they don't want to stop the process to get on that stage. And don't get me wrong, when they get on that stage, they're phenomenal. And that's a hell of a mindset to to be living in a tent in a garden in the middle of winter because you will not give in because you want to win that trophy. That is worth about 20 quid. (laughs) You know what I mean? And no one's going to buy it off you. So... The advice would be find somebody who's real, who's not going to blow smoke up your backside. Someone that will tell you the downside of how you're going to feel from week 15 to week one. What's going to happen to your body? More importantly, what's going to happen to your brain? And how do you safeguard all of these problems along the way? And if you're really going to be pushing it, and obviously people want to use drugs and this and this and this then you really need to understand your body in the process and what your what your capabilities are because no one tells you that in 10 weeks time you're probably going to have to have a colonic irrigation <laughs> because your body is shutting down through toxins and if you don't get rid of them toxins 
you ain't stepping on stage and you've just wasted 10 weeks of killing yourself, God knows how much money and a whole bunch of your friends probably are not going to like you anymore <laughs> because you turned into a very depressed, miserable person. Um, and, and yes, it all goes back to normal afterwards. Most things do. But that's the reality of bodybuilding. You know, what we see in the magazines, the, the on Instagram, again, you know, what's the reality behind the life? I've, I have people say to me, oh, you've got an amazing life. You meet this person, that person. And yes, those bits are amazing. But in order to meet that person, there might have been a 14-hour drive. There might have been two weeks of preparation and a whole bunch of stuff, stress and everything else. It might have caused problems for for people around me, you know, my loved ones, just for me to go and do that. And then I've not slept for two or three days just to get a couple of pictures that look amazing on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah, that would be my first bit of advice. Um, marketing, everything is needs to be marketed. You need to look at yourself as a business and you need to run yourself as a business. If you run yourself through your heart, then you're not going to get anywhere. You know, and I done an article on a guy called Sean Ray, who obviously you both know. You better. <laughs> you don't, do you? You don't know. And uh, ask Aaron; he'll know. Um, and Sean Ray is one of the oldest, not in age, but one of the oldest bodybuilders in the industry that is still a massive force to be reckoned with now. And we'd done an article and I decided to call it Own It, O-W-N, It, Own It. And the reason for that being is because I said, Sean, out of everybody in this industry, you're still the person doing the live streams at Olympia, still prepping people, still look amazing. And you're still very, 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 very famous but yet you never become a Mr. Olympia. Why do you think that is? And his answer was, it's because I own it. Everything he does, now this is from back in the 90s where there was videos, there was no, none of this now. Everything he'd done, he'd done himself. All of his marketing, he signed all the pictures, he replied to all those thousands of letters that came through to his door, he organised all the photo shoots. He wrote all the articles. He done every single little bit of the stage to become a bodybuilder and all of the fan stuff afterwards. So there was that personal touch to every little thing he'd done. And no one could take that process away from him. If it didn't work, he'd change it and do something else and make it work. Whereas now, everybody wants to sit back and be Instagram famous, famous for whatever, and not do any work for it. Back to the work ethic. The work ethic's gone. But if you own it, like Sean, and anybody else that I believe has succeeded, most of the top businessmen that I've met over the years, multimillionaires and everything else, most of them oversee every single little detail just like a bodybuilder on a diet. 
if you if you can oversee your diet, if you can if you can own your diet, own your prep and planning, own your mental state and your um, aggression and uh, drive, then you will succeed. But you obviously need to have a little bit of a plan, just like a business. You need to create a business plan for your own lifestyle. So like me, when I was nine, 10 years of age, without having any prospect of being or doing what I'd done, I knew I wanted to do this, 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 this. I'll tell you a story. Sorry, I won't bore you too long with it. I know, you're kidding it. I like this. When I, was, when I went to school, um, obviously, I was the typical knobhead, right? <laughs> Some things don't change. And we had to go and get our exams, okay? So I got on my push bike, which I saved up for over many years, and bought this really, really cool push bike. So I thought I was pretty damn cool. So I rode to school on this bike and went to get my exam results. I walked in to the office, picked up my exam results, walked back out in my dodgy denim shorts, but don't hold that against me. And I put the results in my back pocket. And there were some girls that were in my class. And obviously I thought, you know, they were, they were the brainy ones, you know. And they said to me, oh, what's your results down? I said, oh, I've not looked, I've not looked. And I took them out of my pocket. And this one particular girl, she grabbed them off me. And I was like, what are you doing? So I grabbed the results back off her, right? Ripped them up and I threw them in the bin. And she went mental, right? Absolutely mental. And I'm thinking, what are you going mental at me for, you know? And she was like, oh, you're going to need them results. You're going to need this. You're going to need this. And I was like, I said to her, I said, no, I don't. I'm not going to need those because I was obviously trying to play it down. I go, I know what I want to do in life. I know what I want to be. I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to be, you know, I want to do some TV. I want to be in the magazines and I want to do this, 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 right? Like a dickhead. <laughs> and, yeah, I know. Still it worked. And, and I never, ever knew what those results were, right? And I totally forgot this story. And then many, many years ago, I mean, we're talking a long time ago, um, this random name joined my Facebook page and and I thought, that, that kind of rings a bell. Don't recognise the picture, you know. And this girl I used to go to school with sent me the story of what happened. And I was like, shit, yeah, I remember that. I remember that day in me dodgy shorts, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, and she, she basically wrote it all out and this big story, and she put, and you done it. You done all of it everything and more and I thought yeah I did you know what I mean and only because I had no prospect of becoming anything so in order to do it I had to own it and I had to find a process and I put a business plan in my head of how I was going to become the person I wanted to be to the outside world and the other thing which is going to sound really corny I was nice to people. Yeah. I didn't make enemies. I made friends. And from friends, those op they opened the doors and the rest is history. That's a wicked story, man. I love that. Love that. It's, um, obviously, you've met a lot of people. 
um, a lot. I've met you now, huh? I've met you now, and you exactly. <laughs> um, who is there? Anyone that you haven't met and that you'd like to? Because I mean, I, I couldn't. To be honest, the people you've met, I, I couldn't name anyone that you'd still want to meet. Um, Your former. You know, there isn't. There isn't. It, 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 I think for, it would be, if it was anybody, it'd be probably somebody outside of the bodybuilding world. Uh, and I had this question asked to me the other day. Someone said to me, if you could meet somebody, one of your idols, who would it be You know, from any period of your life? And I actually sat there and I thought, and I said, you know what? All of my idols, when I was at, because we didn't really watch TV or anything like that as kids. You know, we were working as little as five years of age. Um, we would, I would eventually save up and buy Flex magazine. I'd, I'd get on a bus or on my push bike. I'd ride four or six mile, wherever it was, to the town. I'd go and buy Flex magazine or Iron Man or Muscle Mag. And I'd look through at these guys and they weren't, I weren't necessarily idols of mine, but they were my inspiration. And then obviously now, they're all on my phone. <laughs> so I kind of, the only people I'd probably like to meet would be very different people, maybe presidents or some something like that. Yeah. yeah. Is there any lessons you've learned over the years? Um, <laughs> about what? <laughs> <laughs> um, any lessons uh, in business and bodybuilding? Let's stick with those two for now, eh? Uh, <laughs> Best that, of, best of. that would help um, like young bodybuilders and young entrepreneurs uh, and people that are striving for for greatness any lessons yeah don't be afraid to admit you don't know something don't blag it don't bullshit it because it'll always it'll always show through especially when you're dealing with other top professionals. Um, like you said at the start, you know, you get that guy that's won one bodybuilding contest and there's all of a sudden prepping bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah, I know many of that's done that. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other thing is that, that, I, that I learned very quickly, and again, it goes back to what I just said about being friendly, is you have to be very professional in order to 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 do well and and that is in everything you do um because bodybuilding or any sport or anything any successful athlete that you'll see whether it's anthony joshua um you know amir khan all the other people and you know all the all of these athletes they're generally all very professional and some of the ones that aren't professional have a very good professional team so they can get away with it. But in the beginning, it's about how you conduct yourself. And for me, that was where it really worked for me because I was fortunate enough to meet a guy called Jeff Evans, um, who was the editor of Flex magazine at the time. And he said to me one day, we met again, I was helping a friend and he, um, he happened to be there. And I sat down with this guy this old bloke, old grey-haired guy, and he very quiet, um, quite quite cute in a weird way, even for an old guy, you know. And and he, he was like, oh my God, he goes, you look really good. And I'm thinking, 
you're talking shit, man. I'm just normal, as normal as I can be. And he goes, no, you look really good. Do you compete? And I said, well, I, I competed once and, you know, I'd done my own prep and I, it was this and this. And But yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to do more. And he was like, I'll put you in contact with this person, that person, that person, that person. And the only reason that happened was because I'd gone there to help somebody. So first thing is help somebody else because you never know who you're going to meet. The second thing is be friendly. I said to him, I'm really hungry. Oh, would you like something to eat? I'm going to go and get us all something to eat, right? And he was like, yeah, brilliant. So we had some, I went and got some food for us and we started having a conversation. So conversation, learn how to have a conversation, not just sitting on your phone, texting shit to people. We're expecting to be given everything. Get that out the door. And and that, that moment, I'd spent years emailing, calling, writing letters. Yes, we used to write letters in the old days to try and get noticed and to try and get in the doors of these these this industry, which was impregnable because there was no internet for Instagram, no social media. And um, from that process, help, friendly, make connections. And from that point, my whole entire world opened up. And then from that, that moment on, I was then involved with helping the guys, being in articles. And I wouldn't just be in an article. I'd go to the shows and, and help these people and speak and chat and have a conversation. And, and then I started coming up with ideas of how we could get more traffic, you know, do things that nobody else is doing to Flex Magazine and to this and to this. And before you know it, I was then actually a part of that process because they didn't want to spend the money on something they didn't know. So I was like, well, I'll do it for you because I just wanted to be involved because they were friends. And that, and that is kind of, that is kind of how the process works. You know, just don't just be decent. Be decent. Is that how you got into, how you got into Pullum and then them uh, letting you put your signature on a bit of kit? Uh, That'll come back. Because obviously we've been with, I've known Pullum, uh, Pullum for a while. Um, I helped the the rugby club I used to play for kick their gym out with the, with the yeah, club. and obviously we spent a lot of money with them, um, and that's how obviously I went in contact with you, <laughs> and then we spoke, and then I called you and asked if you'd come on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, simple as that. Um, yeah, how did it, how did you get started with them? And uh, yeah, and that T bar row looks nice for your signature on it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The pendulum, the, the pendulum is my baby. Yeah, pendulum squats my baby, and the only reason that came about was because. I was doing an, um, an, a new, a new, uh, a new couple of articles in, in the magazine, and we only we, we were doing new products. Um, I think we called it "Cool Something," right? Whatever it was, but new products that were coming out. So I I looked up Pullum. I went to go and see them, and I and I looked at. I said, "This is what I need. I need some new products. I want the imagery. I want to know how it works, and this, that, and everything else." And then I started looking at the equipment, and. Um, I'm uh, probably a little bit OCD when it comes to equipment and angles. So if anyone that's ever trained with me, you know that I'll go. You need to move your, you need to move your finger. I need to move your elbow. You need to do this angle. Do this, because many many machines across the world are incredibly shite, um, and 
they're, and if they are good, they're generally only good for one size of person. So that then led me to speaking with Pullum and I said, look, let me design a machine for you that will sell. Everybody will want one. And, and I, I want it to be the bull edition machine. And that's kind of how it started. So I, I then, you know, came home. Um, I got a pencil and paper, and I'm again proper OCD with things. I then drew up this how this this machine needs to be and how it needs to work. Worked out all of the angles. There's with a pendulum squat is a thing called a sinus angle, and if you get the calculations right and the setup right, it then puts the same amount of continual force in a certain area, um, which no other pendulum squat does. Okay, so I looked at other brands and how they've made them. And yeah, it's a, it looks like a pendulum squat. It does a pendulum squat, but actually it's killing your knees and probably not doing your Achilles any good. And not many people can use it because the movement is so difficult and they're, they are a difficult machine. Yeah. So I designed this machine with a moving platform backwards and forwards up and down so you can take the problems off the Achilles. Um, and if you're training like, you know, like if, if it was me and Martin Ford training at 20 foot tall and me at two foot tall, we can adjust it so it works for the pair of us. So, um, and then I spent two weeks with the fabricator actually in the warehouse, um, getting covered in oil and, and dirt and stuff, making this machine with the fabricator to get it perfect for the for the movement and then obviously as you've seen from there on we've done t-bar row this 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 and this so that's kind of how that happened um and what i found out the other day which is which is kind of great in a in a bad way is that now that machine has been copied by another company abroad where they and, they, and i mean it's an exact copy um which is which is fine by me, but I'm just pleased that it shows that oh shit, we made a big impact. Yeah, and now somebody else is trying to copy that machine. So yeah, it's a shame, but it's a compliment. Yeah, yeah, that is a good compliment, man. We'll have to have a we'll have to have another look at that. See if we've got the pennies to get one. Eh? <laughs> you need to have a go on it. Honestly, yeah. where 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 um where can we find one? Do you, where have they been sold? Yeah. <laughs> they're everywhere yeah. <laughs> there's quite a few you'll have to I'll work it out I'll figure out the nearest location to you yeah, and, and go and have a go or, or 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 better than that if you come down to to me and I'll take you to the first one that I built yeah. because that that gym is epic you'll love it honestly Norton Gym in Welling Garden City um, I train there when I can um, but but Honestly, it's got some of the oldest Atlantis machines on the planet. It's very unusual, and it is cool. You walk in there, and even if you don't want to train, you've had a really bad day, you're going to lift some shit. Yeah. And we, we even built, and you, like, so you're into your powerlifting, um, I even made a bespoke platform for them, which is 100 mil thick. <laughs> I mean, absolutely pointless but he wanted it to be different. So he made just a platform, a hundred mil thick. And I also made him a, um, a bull edition squat rack, which is the, the uprights are four times the size of um, a hammer strength squat rack. <laughs> it, it's immense. 
absolutely immense. It, each side weighs about 350 kilos, and there's there's three sides to it plus front. You know, yeah, outrageous, but cool. Amazing, man. Um, is there any other? Uh, actually, I know what sponsors. Your sponsors. Just want to give them a little bit of a little bit of a plug here. You've obviously got one of the greatest uh, bodybuilding belts as a sponsor as well. Oh, my Cardillos, yes. Do you know what? Um, again, Cardillo. I mean, for, for, forget the belts for the minute. Steve Cardillo, the bloke who owns owns that. Um, what an amazing life. You know, a guy that just decided to, to, to design and make a belt for himself because he was into lifting. He was into powerlifting, silly stuff, real big silly stuff. And, uh, and he made this belt. And now, I don't think you could name a famous person that trains that doesn't have one. From from the Kardashians <laughs> to all of the Olympias, all of the NBA stars, all of the WWE or F or whatever it is now, all of them, everybody has a Cardillo belt. And in fact, in fact, I know that um, the Rock, old Dwayne Johnson, if he flies somewhere, this is silly. If he if he flies like to the UK and he's forgotten his belt. He'll ring up Steve at Cardillo and say, Steve, I forgot my belt. You need to get me one out. And Steve will make one and ship it as quick as he can to him on location just because he won't train without a Cardillo belt. Oh. I mean, it's outrageous. And and Steve, as, as a friend, he's, he's one of the most loyal um, guys I've ever met in the industry. You know, and I've got multiple. I could, I could show you tons. I've got blue ones, red ones, black ones. Thick ones, you know, and they're all made to your perfect size, thickness, width, tapering, how many holes, left or right. I mean, honestly, it's yeah. That that was my as a, as a kid, and every pro bodybuilder I've ever met, and they'll, they'll tell you the same. When you get a Cardillo belt, it's almost like you've been accepted into the real world of bodybuilding. Honestly, it's 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 like it's like you've you've arrived. You know what I mean? Passage. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And it's only a belt, you know? <laughs> but if you've got a Cardillo belt, yeah, you're you're on there. And I got these the other day. I got these, as you know, the fat grips. Yeah. And if you look on there, I'll show you. If I turn it round, it says yeah. Nice. It says uh personal personalized pair for the ball from the team at Fat Grips, That's which is really, really cool. And they, and they done me these ones years ago, actually. These were the same. They got the bull on them as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, don't tell him, don't tell him, but I've actually got, I don't know if you can see it, Jay Cutler's. Oh, wicked. Oh, wow, sweet. Yeah, so that's actually Jay Cutler's um, Fat Grip. That's how good they are. Like, you know, Mr. Olympia like that. Smashes them, and, and and if you've never used them, have you ever used them? Yeah, 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 I like them. Man, they, they make you burn, don't they? <laughs> they make you burn. Do you like them? Um, and what's um, Iron Asylum? I haven't actually looked into that one yet. Well, Iron Asylum is. Um, have you ever seen the clothing Monster Factory? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Monster Factory is again a very good personal friend of mine, and um, and, and again, if you. If, He's made me this top with the bull on it. Oh, um, and Iron Asylum is the monster factory. It's, it's their gym. So it, I think it's now just called the Monster Factory. Okay. Um, and basically, 
yeah, they're they're very good personal friends of mine. I've known for a very long time, and they give me you know some amazing clothing. And it's funny because now when I walk into a gym, that's all you see is you know monster monster factory jumpers, hoodies, you know hats everywhere. And it's kind of like yeah, cool. I was there in the beginning before all of this happened, you know. But yeah, they're they're, they're great people. They're great people. I say you need something to fit your traps in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's something to hide them, yeah. <laughs> oh, wicked, yeah, definitely. Um, before we wrap this up, um, have you got any quotes that you live and train or uh, live and or train by? Oh, quotes. Do you know what? I wouldn't necessarily, there's quotes, but there's 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 a lot of things I try, try to live by. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, I am the king of fuck-ups. <laughs> um, Amen. I've made some big mistakes, but as as we all say, you know, you should learn by your mistakes. And and I think, unfortunately, um, and I don't, I'm not going to finish on a, on a morbid thing. I think I'm not sure if I told you before, but my my brother, who's you know a few years older than me, he actually you know died from cancer, mm. which is which sounds horrific and it is obviously but I think at the minute there's such a problem with mental health that for me at that time um which was very difficult because not only did my my brother die from cancer but a very very long-term friend and training partner for 20 plus years who we trained on a Sunday, he was dead on the Monday. We did do a big leg session, so it's kind of understandable. <laughs> but but unfortunately, you know, he 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 passed away. And I had a concession of of bad things happen. And everyone was like, how the hell can you how can you keep doing what you're doing and functioning? And and I think it simply is for me is when something is really, really shit. And you and you're full of anger and you're full of depression and this and this and this. And trust me, you know, I'm not pretending to be no amazing mental guru or anything, because I have shit days like anybody else. Um for me, it's learn to use your mind effectively. Use the aggression, use the the downs in order to give you the ups, you know, um, because if you don't. Then unfortunately, you're never going to get up. And at the current time of the world, when when everybody's really struggling, you know, because they're not able to train, or you know, or it's just a bad time of the year. You know, January is always a bad time of the year, and and it's dark, it's miserable, all all of that. So I don't necessarily have a quote, but for me, it would be: make sure that you tell your loved ones they're loved because that might go tomorrow and you never know. And use every little thing you have, whether it's excitement, depression, aggression, to achieve your goals. You need a driving force. And that is my driving force. You know, I've had some shit times and that's what's made me achieve and succeed and have the nice things and do do the, the experiences because I refuse to fucking lose. That is it. Yeah, man, that's it. Refuse to lose. Very good. That is it. That's fucking it, mate. That is fucking it. <laughs> Wicked. Cool. 
Thank you very much for coming on, man. That is, I, I fucking love that. I think we could keep it for another two hours. <laughs> You'd be good easily. I've only got one, one request, one request from you, Aaron. Yeah, man. I want you to give me a song on that microphone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. It, oh, it comes with a speaker as well. Is it? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> get me one of those. I can't sing for shit though. I think so it's a five on Amazon or something, mate. Like <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Wicked, mate. Thank you very much. Come on. I'll uh, oh, make that. It's great pleasure, talking to you today. Sorry? It was great talking to you today and getting an insight yeah. into your life and your philosophies and obviously your experiences. Yeah, 100%. It's been really great doing it. And and I'd like to say to any anybody that watches this or anyone that comes to your gym and, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to contact me. Obviously, my Instagram is at daz underscore the underscore bull. If I don't know, one of you guys will be able to, 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 uh, to get them to me somehow. Um, and I'm happy to, to take questions and discuss anything anybody ever wants to ask me. And I'm very black and white. So if you're easily offended... You best be prepared. <laughs> You'll get a true answer. There's no bullshit coming out of here. Wicked, man. That's what we need in life, I think, at the moment. You know, that that truth. And unfortunately, not many people are giving it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, honestly, if anybody um, wants to speak to me or whatever, like you say, just look me up, send me a message. Um, I do get a lot of messages, so I'll, I'll get back to you as quick as I possibly can. Um, but I 100% will get back to you. Wicked man, thank you very much.